The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, the Gospel of Mark is really the shortest gospel, but that certainly doesn't mean that it's uh, short on details and substance. And we are in Mark chapter 14 today. And Bert and I were talking earlier today, there's denial and betrayal. Now, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. Hopefully nobody would ever want to do something like that. But Peter, that we'll talk about, denied Jesus. What's the difference between denial and betrayal, and which of the two might we at some point in our life be guilty of? Well, Alex McFarland here along with Brother Bert Harper. You are listening to the American Family Radio Network. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We invite you to turn there as we not only take your questions later in the show, but we study the Word of God. Bert, um, power-packed, 16 Short chapters, the, the the most brief of the four Gospels, but deep, deep, deep on substance, isn't it? It really is. And chapter 14 is 72 verses, the way they divided it up. So it's rather lengthy. And I looked at it today, and I thought of this. See what you think about it. It describes two scenes about two apostles who are being played out in that one chapter. Because you got the denial and the betrayal. The denial is Simon Peter. And notice how it, is, it, it, it breaks it up. It's kind of like the old B Westerns. They would show you something that was happening and then would say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And you do that both with uh, Peter and, and Judas Iscariot. As you read these two chapters, you see it talking about Judas, and then you see the completion of the act. Then it talks about Peter's denial, and then you see the completion of the act. So you have to follow it along. And yesterday, what we did, we took Judas and his, uh, Jesus saying, the one that I dip with is the one that will betray me, shows him going and doing that, and then it shows them arresting him. Well, today we want to look, look at Peter uh, when, when Peter stands up and he said, you know, I— you know, you talk about all these people that would deny you, not me. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And so here we have Peter. And again, Alex, you and I were talking about the difference in betrayal and denial. And uh, I, I think sometimes our silence is denial. And sometimes what we uh, say in the wrong way is the denial. We try to skirt the issues of the day, you know, denying our stance. So betraying is, is more, let me just say, is very much greater severity than denial. And uh, yes, you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs or portions of it. Yeah. And it is filled with men and women who would never betray nor deny Christ. That book has strengthened me, and hopefully, if that time comes, I will stand with men like Polycarp and others that would not deny Christ. You know, it's funny, in the Truth for a New Generation event that we had in Tennessee this past weekend, Mickey Addison talked about this in one of her uh, presentations about how in the early church, you know, there, there was intense Roman persecution, and there were Christians that they called them lapsed. Christians or lapsers. In other words, that there was a lapse in their testimony. It's like deny Christ and we will let you live. We won't execute you. And some professed Christians would deny Christ. May, may God grant that there's never a lapse in our witness for Christ. You know, the Bible talks about how Peter went out and, uh, you know, three times denied Jesus and then he wept bitterly. Um, I don't think Dr. Gary Habermas would mind me telling this, but brilliant guy. Um, he's spoken for us many times, probably three dozen times at different events, uh, known as the world expert on the resurrection of Christ and a devout defender of Christianity and wonderful believer. But Dr. Habermas has told the story when he was at an academic meeting, like maybe at, um, maybe at Michigan State, 
and it was known that he was a Christian. This was when he was finishing his PhD, and somebody in front of a group said, um, oh, wow, you're a Christian. Um, do you even believe in Noah's Ark? And Gary Habermas said that he couldn't believe, but he heard himself say, no, not not that. Maybe that was a legend. And he went back to his room just broken that he, he and he prayed, you know, God, I don't know why I said that, but in front of all of these academics, momentarily, he was intimidated, and then he began to come out and say, no, I do believe in Noah's Ark. I, I believe in the Bible, uh, Noah and the flood. But here's the thing. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. Bert, sometimes you and I do this to show, and I, and I want to say I do this not only in front of the love and the friendly audience of Exploring the Word, but I've done this in front of many a hostile audience. But I believe that God created in six literal days and rested on the seventh. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, had no sin. I believe that Elisha made an axe head float and Jesus fed the 5,000. Moses parted the Red Sea, Noah built the ark, and Jesus rose from the dead, and he's coming again. Uh, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. I believe that transgenderism is of the devil. And, and I believe there's no salvation except by the shed blood of Jesus on Calvary's cross. And we, we've got to, as Christians, remember that if we're not affirming Jesus— then tacitly we're denying Jesus. That's exactly right. And so let's dig in here in verse 26. Uh, it says they observed the Passover and then the Lord's Supper. In verse 26 it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's from Zechariah 13.7 is Jesus' quote in the Old Testament. and But after I have been raised, I'll go before you in Galilee. Uh, do you remember after Jesus rose from the dead, he told those women, he said, I'll meet them in Galilee. He remembered his promise, and yes, he would. But Peter, verse 29, said to <laughs> Jesus, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then look at this final line. And they all said, likewise. After Peter said that, mm. the other, me too, me too. Me too. Uh, they had said, is it I, is it I that was going to betray him? But here when it says, I'll stand for you. Even, uh, you know, I'll never deny you. I'll die before I do that. Me too, me too. Alex, again, this is Peter. Uh, this is he. I've, with all of his heart, he means this. But I want to say this, and then we'll throw it back to you. In the book of Acts, uh, when he preaches there in chapter 3, and uh, the crowd comes, and the Sanhedrin draws, and they said, they beat him and said, don't you speak anymore in the name of this Jesus. And he said, you know, he said, what we have seen and heard, we cannot help but speak. And he did. He was strong, and he lived up to that, Alex. So is this well, the power of the Holy Spirit in him, in his flesh, thinking it's strong enough, but it really not? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, the Bible says the flesh profiteth nothing. Remember John fifteen five, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, but... Bert, a verse that's a real somber warning is 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, Therefore, if any man thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. And, you know, I do believe, like when in verse 31 of Mark 14, when Peter said, Look, even if I have to die, I will never betray you. I'm sure he believed that. And, and he would die for the sake of the gospel, ultimately. All the early disciples would. But um, we can only do this. We can only stand, live, speak, even lay down our life under the power and the guidance and the strength of the Holy Spirit. A am I right? I mean, right. In, in and of our flesh, however good our intentions might be, apart from the power of the Lord, we really can't do it on our own strength, can we? We cannot. In me dwelleth no good thing, and that's even courage 
and everything that goes with it. So Jesus tells him that. They agreed with him. In verse 32, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Okay? Uh, he's done this before. He would go to the mountain, put them in the boat, go to the other side. He would pray. So here he goes and prays. This is not kind of different. This is typical. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. At sometimes it would be Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Andrew's not there this time. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further, fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away, this cup of suffering away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? And this is not too long after he said, I would die for you, and he can't even sleep through through a prayer meeting. Alex? Mm. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> this, Listen, let me say this real quick, and I'll throw it back to you real, real quickly. People say, you know, we pray for people to be healed, and then they say, if it be your will. They say, oh, that's bailing out. Jesus didn't bail out when he said, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. God, may it be your will above my will, even when I'm asking for healing, even when I'm uh, asking for less pressure, finding a better job. God, your will supersedes my will. That's we yeah. need to be in that camp, Alex. Well, we really do. And by the way, Gethsemane, I've always, you know, that word has just fascinated me ever since I was a little boy. Uh, verse 32, they came to the place which is named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now, uh, we've maybe you've heard pastors preach on a Gethsemane moment, because Jesus was there under great burden. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Now, the word Gethsemane means two things. It means place of great suffering, but it can also mean olive press. Now, Bert, isn't it significant? In the Bible, very often the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is referred to as oil. Yes. And at this place where the olive oil was pressed out, the one who is so full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, of the place where he consented to go through that crushing and he would go to the cross for us. He did. And that was where the battle was won. The battle was won before he went to the cross. We'll be back with more right after the break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Paul Tonko, Congressional Representative for the 20th District of New York. He has served in the United States Congress since 2009. 2 Peter 1.6 reminds us of the character we should seek when choosing our leaders. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Paul Tonko as he represents the people of New York. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. No matter what our circumstances, the Bible commands us not to worry. Easier said than done? Dr. Tony Evans says not so. If we start thinking more like birds, you'll want to turn to Luke chapter 12 as we spend two minutes with Tony. Look, if you're worried about corona or anything else that's causing you to illegitimately worry rather than be limited to legitimate concern, go bird watching because they will teach you how God operates. Birds don't have 403Bs, they don't have CDs, they don't have mutual funds, they don't have saving accounts, and yes, they don't have ulcers. Have you ever seen a bird with an ulcer? Because they didn't worry a hole in their belly? Your daddy takes care of them. So let's picture our friend the bird. He's standing on a branch, 
but he's not standing on the branch with his beak open toward heaven waiting for worms to drop. Every day it goes worm hunting because it assumes something. If I'm alive, there's a worm somewhere to be found. So he doesn't alleviate responsibility out of concern to eat. He exercises responsibility knowing that the provision comes from another source. God says when you're prone to worry, go bird watching because you'll see how the father operates. He says, and look at the lilies of the field, how well they're clothed. They are beautiful because your heavenly father provides for them. He says that I want you to look at him as a father when it comes to not worrying. Learn to develop a deeper trust in God's preserving power. Check out Tony's CD series, Clarity in a Crisis, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Ephesians 1.11 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're in Mark chapter 14. We're looking at verse 32 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Now, Alex, one of the, uh, when I went to Israel, I had several high, high points and high places that just overwhelmed me. The Garden of Gethsemane was one of them. The olive trees still there, and olive trees, are they live a long, long, long time. Oh, yes. It is possible that some of those olive trees that were there then uh, as young, real small, have grown, and are some of those that are older now. That's Now, that's what was said, and it really yeah. gripped me that in this garden, and, and I said it before we went out uh, of the first break, that this is where the battle was won. Notice, he did pray, if there's any other way possible, Lord, let this, God, let this cup pass from me. He won the battle when he got the answer. In other words, God's silence and not saying, no, there's no other way. Yes, there is other way. God would have given him that answer, but he was mm-hmm. determined to do the Father's will. Not my will, but thine be done. Determined to do the Father's will. I think Amen. Peter was, but weak. Here's Jesus, though, the God-man, and there is none of that and he fulfills his purpose and God's will for his life. Amen. Amen. You know, it, um, in verse 35, it says, He, Jesus, went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. But he yielded to the Father, as as uh, you said, and he said, uh, you know, that uh, not what I will, but what you will, verse 36. And, Bert, I've always found it poignant kind of sad, 37 and following, Jesus comes and the disciples were sleeping. Here's the most important moment of Jesus's ministry, the most important moment of world history, that he is going to be crucified. And the pain, we there's no way that we can adequately begin to describe the pain that Jesus went through. And yet, as he was facing this, they fell asleep, didn't they? They did. And again, Jesus says it in verse 38, the, fl- the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh, it is weak. That was true with him saying, I'll never deny you. That was true here when it was to watch and pray, and he did not. I won't say the word could not, but he did not. But honestly, Alex, these men who walked with God, Jesus Christ, these three years, a little more, saw the miracles and everything. They, even with all of that, we see their weakness. And uh, not just him, because all of them are going to follow a far away from Christ. John is the one that comes closest. He's with Mary there at the cross. But we find out here uh, three times he returned, twice. He returned the third time. Verse 41, are you still sleeping and resting? 
it is enough. It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. Who's in Mm. charge? Oh, Judas Iscariot thinks he is, but he's not, is he? (laughs) No, the Lord is completely in charge, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God here on earth, is completely in charge. Uh, Verse 41, where he comes back a third time and everybody's asleep, and he says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, I hope God doesn't say to our nation, okay, it's enough. Look, there's nothing more I'm going to even try to do. Uh, the the pathway is set, the die is cast. You know, it, it's one thing to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's another thing to hear God say, Psh, it's enough. You know, no more. Uh, my, my overtures, my admonitions are finished. See, he had said, wait, Terry here, pray while I go over here and pray. Bert, I, I don't want God to throw up his hands and say it's enough about America. I don't either. And Alex... Uh, you and I, we've talked about it a lot last weekend, Truth for a New Generation. Again, we see that. So what do you do? We turn to God. That's what Amen. we do. The salt does not need to lose its savor. We need to stand. We need to be armed with the whole armor of God and be able to stand in the evil day. And it's through his power, through his strength, that that will happen. Uh, yeah. We cannot determine the whole direction of a nation we can affect it, and I believe uh, they have. I believe Ronald Reagan was that man that turned America around at a strategic time, and and I really believe that it is possible. I really do, and I'm praying that God would raise people up to look at that. But here it is. He said, my hour has come. That is one of the themes all through the Gospels, especially in the book of John. He uses that term again, my hour's not come, my hour's not come. And then here it is, the hour has come. And again, Alex, uh, he's ready. He's ready. He is. Uh, he had told people, don't go and tell it because I'm not ready yet. Don't tell them what I've done. I'm not ready yet. No, you're not going to make me king. That's not what I've come for. This is what I've come for. And the hour has come, and the betrayer is at hand. How do you, those words the betrayer is at hand. Judas's chariot does not slip up on him, does he? No, he really doesn't. He, uh, he really doesn't. And Bert, to your point about a nation turning around, um, do you remember what a wonderful brother in Christ? Uh, and I was speaking with him today, Byron Paulus. Oh yes, Cry. love Byron. Yes, yeah. he he and I were talking about the Asbury revival, uh, which he just said was uh, in his. 50-year ministry journey, one of the most impressive, powerful things ever. And he said this nation could turn around like in a day if the Spirit of God really would get a hold of people, beginning with the, you know, 100 million professed Christians. Let's make sure, well, I can't speak for anybody else, but we can each say for ourselves, well, the Lord has all of me. Amen. The, The Lord has all of me. And Bert, was it Gypsy Smith? That was him. That's who I was thinking about, Alex. Go ahead, man. Oh, yeah. Draw a circle on the ground. You get in that circle and and say, dear Lord, take hold of everything within this circle. And that would mean us, you know, myself. And uh, that's a great illustration. But in Mark 14, uh, like I said yesterday, out of the darkness comes Judas, soldiers, a crowd of people, religious leaders. There's this allusion, reference to uh, a young man running away. We think that probably was John Mark. W- would you agree, Bert? I agree. That's that's as good as we can get. We think so. It's one of those things you don't know for sure, but it sure is a lo- great likelihood. Verse 55, well, Peter follows at a distance. You know, it's going to be uh, 66 through 72 is going to be the fulfillment of what Jesus predicted about the denial of Peter. But let me read 55. The chief priest and all the council sought testimony against Jesus, how they could put him to death, but they found none. Okay. <laughs> Should be end of story. Should be. You know? Yeah. If he's not guilty, then it must mean he's innocent. But they brought out false witnesses, and their testimonies did not agree. I mean, this is, again, when you've got this conflicting 
anecdotal testimony that clearly is false. Jesus should be exonerated, but he wasn't. And some said, uh, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But that wasn't exactly what Jesus said. So finally, the high priest stands up and says to Jesus, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? And still Jesus kept silent. And he says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now this is something that they would be willing to kill the Son of God, but they wouldn't utter the name of God. They wouldn't say, are you the Son of Yahweh? Or, But they would say, and this was kind of their semantical way of getting around something that they didn't feel like they were holy enough to do, to utter the name of God. But Jesus, and we've talked about this many times, Bert, this has to be one of my favorite parts of the New Testament. In verse 62 of Mark 14, again, which even critics uh, acknowledge is authentic. We know it's all authentic, but even liberals can't get around this. Jesus quotes two Old Testament messianic passages. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, we don't need any more witnesses. You've heard the blasphemy. What is your verdict? And they said, he must die. They committed him to death, convicted him. And they began to spit on him, blindfold him, beat him, and to say, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Bert, uh, let me tell you, verses 63 through 65 are Mm. steeped in guilt, oh, me. guilt for these people rejecting Jesus, who they knew inside really was the Messiah. You're exactly right, Alex. Let me go back and make one thing. The, the witnesses, even the false witnesses, the ones that they had arranged to come before him, this is nighttime. They had this all arranged. This is not just people dropping by. These are people that they had arranged for this to happen. And in their arrangement in this fixed trial, they couldn't even get it together. So what does Jesus do? Jesus purposely gave them reason in their mind to put Jesus on the cross. Okay, you catch what I'm saying? They could not. They they could not find anything that he was guilty of. That They knew that. So they brought in false witnesses. And then with that, Jesus didn't just keep quiet. He was quiet until he declared himself to be the great I am. And Alex, that was sufficient according to the high priest. And Jesus, let me just say, laid it out for them. They couldn't even do it themselves. But God in command gave himself to them knowing what would he would uh, they would do so i i you said it jesus is in complete control they can't even control their witnesses but jesus christ his purpose was fulfilled and just like you said from verse 63 through 65 it is them uh honestly i hate to say this they're celebrating what they're doing you catch well you, you, you exactly know? yeah and let me throw something out there for those that might be a freshman in college and you've got a world religions class and folks again mark the shortest gospel uh probably the earliest gospel even critics accept that mark is authentic right well many a college professor has told students um jesus didn't really claim to be the son of god but I always ask this follow-up question. If they say, well, Jesus didn't really claim to be God. Evangelicals in recent years have made that up. No. Uh, Then why was Jesus put to death? And they don't have an answer. And I'll say, well, if Jesus didn't claim to be God incarnate, what was his main message? And liberals will say, well, love your neighbor. You know, love your neighbor, be a good person. Okay, here's the thing. Look at verse 62. Are you the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. That's Exodus 3.14, which no pious Jew would even vocalize. And then he attributes Daniel 7.13 and 14 to himself. 
And the high priest says in verse 64 of Mark 14, you have heard his blasphemy. Now that means that he was attributing the nature of God to himself. Look, love your neighbor, be a good person. They don't execute you for that. Jesus was sentenced to death because he claimed to be God incarnate. So, Bert, my point being, and uh, digressing just a little bit, is that Jesus did claim to be God, but not only claimed it, proved it by many things, not the least of which is he rose from the dead. His words prove it, his work proves it, his worship proves it, in every way it is proof that he is Now, let's finish this up in the next three and a half minutes. We've already talked about Peter. Uh, Like we said, those Western B-movies. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile, while this illegal trial was going on at nighttime, Peter was below, verse 66, in the courtyard. And one of the what? Servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, Uh, The sermon is warming himself by the devil's fire. You've heard that. But anyway, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it. Okay. Saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you're one of them for you are a Galilean. His speech gave him away, but he, his accent, (laughs) but he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak a second time. The rooster crowed before the second time, three times he had denied the Lord and Peter Call to mind the word that Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Alex, he denied three times. Just, I mean, this this is amazing that Jesus could tell this was happening to Peter. And when Peter knew it, he wept. Uh, this is the story, Peter's denial. Yeah. Isn't that something? Um, great sadness, great, um, not just remorse, but contrition. You know, we talked about there's a difference between uh, denial and betrayal. Well, there, there's a difference between contrition versus remorse. To be contrite means to be very sorry and sad so that uh, broken, you fall back into the arms of the Savior. Well, Alex, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We dare not deny him. Let's take our stand in humility. Jesus is Lord. We're going to take your phone calls, 888-589-8840. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Peck, host of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on AFR.net. I serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. We explore health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. The Dr. Nurse Mama Show on AFR.net. Here's Ellis Craft of Reach a Village Ministries. The last verse in the Old Testament makes an amazing promise. Malachi 4.6, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Reaching villages with the gospel means reaching entire families. Children in unreached villages are vulnerable to abuse, trafficking, and spiritual poverty. But you can change that by helping reach a village with the gospel for the first time. More than one million villages are still waiting to hear. Your gift will be doubled and will help train and send local evangelists into an unreached village with the gospel. Go to reachavillage.org AFR to find out more or call 833-7-REACH-7. 
or call 833-773-2247. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Statistics show that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Yet the percentage of children born to fatherless homes has skyrocketed in America. As of 2015, 25% of white, 53% of Hispanic, and 73% of black babies are born into fatherless homes. While scripture teaches that the weight of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord falls upon fathers. Seems like we need a movement that says fatherhood matters. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. The number, the number you can call in, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840 with your Bible question. Bert Harper and I will do our best to give you a just a good, solid, factual answer. And Bert, we're going to go to those phone calls now. Where shall we begin? Let's start with Joshua in Georgia. Hello. Welcome. Thank you, Mr. Harper. Um, how are you all today? Doing well. Thank you, man. Hope you are as well. Yes. Um, my quick question is, okay, I was talking to my sister yesterday, and she claims that King James removed certain portions of the Bible. Uh, and what we have today, the King James Version, is incomplete. And she cited a book that I will not name. Um, I have to refute her. She's a witch, um, a pagan witch. And trying to be, trying to get her back and get her into the kingdom of, you know. Thank Amen, you, Joshua. God bless and thank you for taking my call. Amen. Alex, this is one of your areas of expertise. Did the, the King James translators willfully ignore some of the uh, material? No, uh, my goodness. And, and by the way, let's agree together to pray for the salvation of this gentleman's uh, sister is very unfortunate. Uh, look, by the time of the the King James Bible, uh, for really hundreds of years, there had been even several English translations of the Bible before the King James. Uh, and and by the way, um, I think about a century before the King James Bible was William Tyndale's New Testament translated from right. uh, Greek to English. So here's the reason that that fails. And I, I mean, I could name a lot of books. Uh, How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot is a good book. Uh, Dr. Harold Wilmington's uh, book on the Bible, Norm Geisler, William Nix. There are so many incredible scholars, not, not just even conservative scholars, but even some that are kind of liberal that would strongly refute what your sister is saying. Here's the thing. The Old Testament was well-known, Genesis through Malachi, translated into Greek 200 years before the birth of Christ, completed 400 B.C. So when we're talking about the canon, really what comes into question is the New Testament. But Matthew through Revelation, that is the New Testament we have, was in circulation by about 125 to 130 A.D., that's about 25, 30 years after it was completed. And so by the time of the King James, look, the, the canons of Old and New Testament, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New, had been known for, for you know, 15 centuries. So there was no book left out. There was nothing suppressed. Bert, this is kind of an urban legend, right. but it's just false. The Bible you have is the Bible that God gave. It is. And and listen, stand on that. Do not do not stand for it. Speak up and say no. Uh it's been it's it was that way and it 
it was even had the earlier translation, the Tyndall translation. Now, again, yeah. King James cited a better one could be had. That that was debatable even then, which was the best translation even then. But it was the same material. That's the thing, right, Alex? Same material. Oh, yeah. Same content. And look, it translation, whether it's in Spanish, Chinese, you know, Hindi, Afrikaans, you name it, um, what we're doing in a translation, it doesn't change, but it's swapping out word for word from the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Greek of the New Testament. But you know what? In any language, John 3.16 means, <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Preach it, brother. So, Amen. Um, Thank you, We're Joshua. praying for your sister, my friend. Amen. Write that down, all of you, Joshua's sister. Let's go to Pennsylvania, and it's R.J. Welcome, R.J. R.J., are you there? Yes. Okay, you're on. Thank you for calling. Hi, Bert and Alex. I got uh, a quote off of Facebook about Jesus. It really caught my attention. Are you ready for this, Herod? Could it kill him? The Pharisees couldn't stop him. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't contain him. He has risen. He's alive. And he's coming back again as King Jesus. Amen. And praise <laughs> God, Burton Alex. Amen, RJ. He is. Listen, the grave couldn't hold him. Man, Alex, uh, you know, <laughs> they didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. They rolled the stone away to let the apostles in. I, mm -hmm. I love that phrase because he had that, that body and he could go through doors. He could go through that stone. Uh, what a savior, RJ! Thank um, you for that reminder. Amen. Yes, thank you for that that um, uh, encouraging salutation too, brother. We're glad to hear from you as well. You bet. Let's go to Arkansas, Kayla. Welcome. Hi. Good afternoon, Bert and Alex. Um, thank you for taking my call. I do have a question though that you guys are in Mark and you haven't gotten to sixteen uh, chapter sixteen yet. <laughs> But um, I want to know your opinion um, about the last chapter, verses 9 through 20. Um, uh, apparently, they were added later. Those were not the um, original manuscripts. Uh, the oldest manuscripts don't even contain those verses. Um, and my question is, if scribes added it later, how... How am I supposed to take that as the original word from Mark or his story or God even at that? If it was added by some person later, um, it, I'm quite confused. And one of my <clears throat> commentaries in a King James Version even uh, said that I should not take that as um, doctrine, that I needed to be careful using those verses as a basis of doctrine so okay. yeah kayla thank you alex mm -hmm. we've gone over this before and we were anticipating getting to there uh we have it and it is the codex sentitus and codex uh vatican is it vatican yeah vaticanus it's not in them but it is in some that are not they're not much different in the age far as what i have looked up go ahead um, let me say this, that the church during the early years was under Jewish, Greek, and Roman persecution. Men, very often, Christians were, you know, running for their lives. And let me just say this, now I want to get specifically to Mark 16, 9 through 20. Um, the strength of the Old Testament is quality. The strength of the New Testament manuscripts is quantity. Of the Old Testament, we have comparatively fewer manuscripts, but they are all in very high quality and just no question whatsoever. The strength of the New Testament is quantity. There are 26 to 30,000 New Testament copies, tens of thousands of fragments and portions, and then nearly one million um, early church correspondents pieces where people would quote a verse. Okay, I want to be clear. I believe Mark 16 all the way through verse 20 is authentic to the text, and I'll tell you why. Because virtually all of the manuscripts that uh, exist or known to have exist contain all 20 verses. Now, there have been 
And th this relates to one of the questions of textual criticism, not in the sense of being a critic like, you know, passing judgment, but evaluating. And there are, like you, you mentioned, Codex Sinaiticus, the, uh, a manuscript found at Mount Sinai, and then uh, Vaticanus, some manuscripts held by the Vatican, that didn't contain these. And it is assumed, but not proven, that Sinaiticus and Vaticanus are older than some of the other ones that do. Now, what's better, the majority text, the one that we have the most copies of, or the one that we think is older? And so anytime you read where somebody goes, um, well, 9 through 20 shouldn't be in there. It, it ends at verse 8, uh, because there are a couple of manuscripts that don't contain 9 through 20. They're assuming, first of all, they're assuming that what they think are the oldest manuscripts really are the oldest manuscripts, and that in itself is an assumption. The other thing is they're assuming that merely because a manuscript is older, it, it would, would be better. Bert, I want to say this. Um, when you've got not only, not only the, the vast, 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 vast majority of manuscripts, regardless of what we assume their age may or may not be, the vast majority contain what we call the longer ending. But the other thing is, and, and I know this is, this is, might be called anecdotal, but I think it's pretty powerful. You've got volumes of early church correspondence where early Christians for the first 250 years of the church wrote to each other, quote these verses, 9 through 20, and quote it as if it's Scripture. And one other thing from a stylistic standpoint, now hang with me, folks, but you've got at uh, verse 8 the empty tomb and they leave. But then you've got, in the longer ending, you've got appearances of Jesus, you've got really the Great Commission. So 9 through 20, it definitely harmonizes in the content of what it says. And then you've got things like in verse 17 and 18 that harmonize definitely with things we read in the book of Acts. I could go on and on. A, a couple, I'm going to give another mention of the great book by Norm Geisler, From God to Us, How We Got the Bible, which is uh, Norm Geisler and William Nix published, uh, I believe it's by Moody Press. But Bert, um, count me on record as believing in all 20 verses of Mark 16 as has been assumed for pretty much, you know, the last 1,500 years. I'm in that category as well. And uh, I, again, many of the same reasons. Again, uh, the assumption it's, it's kind of like carbon dating. Uh, they yeah. found out they use that to say what's a million years old, and it has been caught uh, fallacy all the way. And so we we want to make sure that let's go to Bo and Mo. And I'm sorry, Missouri. That I uh -huh. love. Yeah, good one. I could not resist that, Bo. But thank you, calling from Missouri. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, sure, and I'll talk to you guys, Mr. Burt and Mr. Alex. Uh, I tell you what, I could have a cup of coffee and sit down with you guys for about an hour, but I guess we'll Maybe we'll get to short. do that sometime. Amen. I would love that. I'm an old Greenville, Mississippi boy by heart and grew up around Memphis, but we have been in the Ozarks for over 20 years. So uh, my question, uh, the seven churches that Jesus addresses in chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation, uh, I know there's things that we'll have to ask Jesus one day that we all can't answer, and nobody's going to ever take the faith away from me and my wife by any means. Uh, but the more I read, the more ignorant I realize I am, and uh, and I've been going to church since I was in diapers. So, uh but the seven churches that Jesus addresses in those chapters, uh wonder why he picked those seven. Let me give you a quick answer, mm -hmm. and Alex, you can fill in whatever. They were chosen, I think, for two main reasons. The issues that they were going through were representative of seven different issues. Each one of them has their own particular issues. I know you. I find fault with you. He And he wanted to issue that. Also, I do think they are a picture of things to come, and each one of those represents those 
You can call it stages in church history. And uh, you say, well, I don't believe all that. Well, if you read it and see it and look back on church history, you'll find out there's some strange coincidence if it's not on purpose. Isn't that right, Alex? Yeah, I mean, you've got um, Ephesus, the church that had forsaken its first love, Smyrna, a persecuted church, uh, Pergamum, the church that needed to repent, uh, Thyatira, the church that had a false prophetess and a lot of problems. Then you've got Sardis, the church that had fallen asleep, Philadelphia, really the best church in that list, Revelation 3, 7, and following, and then the Laodicean church. And it has been uh, acknowledged these churches can be emblematic of many churches, and to a degree they've been stages of church history. It's interesting, Bert, these all were literal churches that once existed, and today you can visit these churches in terms of archaeological excavations and ruins. Um, God has promised the perpetual existence of the church, but not necessarily the perpetual existence of any one local church, has he? That's exactly right. And uh, so, uh, Bo, we hope that gives you uh, that. was a good question. Interesting question. That's a very good question. I, I liked it. Uh, it was. A, we'll give you an A, brother. Let's go to <laughs> North Carolina and talk to Gary. Gary, welcome. Hey, brothers. Yes. Um, hello. You, 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 yeah, I'm here. Go right ahead, Can man. Can you hear me? Yes, go right ahead. You, you've been talking about the uh, trials of Jesus today and in the past here recently. And I remember one time I was reading all, all about the trials and so forth in the different Gospels. And I came to the conclusion, and I said to the Lord, I says, I don't see any justice. Even when somebody who knew better, they went the other way. And God told me at the end of this, what do you want, justice or mercy? Amen. Amen. Mm. I, wow. I I heard this, and and it, it adds to it. It's got some humor in it. There's this woman who had her picture taken by a photographer, and when she got it, she didn't like it, and she went to that photographer and complained, and she said, this picture doesn't do me justice. And he said, the photographer said to the lady, it's not justice you need, it's mercy. And, you know, it's kind of, that's humor. But that's exactly right. Desperate for mercy. Mariana, Carol, Tony, uh, we couldn't get to you today. Thank you for calling. Call back. We want to get to you. We get to as many as we can. But, Alex, aren't you glad that mercy and grace, compassion, is what Jesus desires first? Amen. God is so merciful to us. And, you know, folks, uh, with every day, as we reflect on the forgiveness we have in Jesus, I just think that it causes us to fall more deeply in love with Christ for the great love he showered on us. We thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word. But most of all, tell everybody about Jesus Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.